This is question 107. We're only doing one today because this is the last question in the catechism. And we're coming to the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. So next week we'll start with question one again. Question 107. What does the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer teach us? The conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen teaches us to take our encouragement in prayer from God only and in our prayers to praise Him, ascribing kingdom power and glory to Him, and in testimony of our desire and assurance to be heard, we say, Amen. Let's think about that last phrase, in testimony of our desire and assurance that He hears us, we say, Amen. We don't say amen just to clue everybody that it's time to open their eyes, right? That's not what we say amen at the end of a prayer. We say amen because we're letting, we're saying the word means, you know, let it be so. And, and, and it is a statement of our assurance that because we have prayed in Jesus' name, our Father hears us and he will answer. And so that's why we say amen. It's there again. It's not just like it's a... You know, it's just the end to our prayer. So we all wake up and know it's time to do something else. No, it is a specific part of our prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So let's stand together. Let's pray as we, as we close. And let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer as we did it through the Catechism. Uh, we began by doing the Lord's Prayer. And let's just end today by together, reciting together, saying to our Father... Uh, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So let's, you follow with me, and there again, I'm probably just out of memory, I'm going to pray it out of the old King James. So you pray it out of whatever you know, and that's okay. Um, the phrases basically mean the same thing. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we say amen. Because we have an assurance that because we are praying to you in Jesus' name, You hear our heart. You know our needs. In that same segment of Scripture, Lord, you told us that you, our Father in heaven, know what we need even before we ask, and yet you tell us to ask. And so, Lord, we come before you with our petitions, with our burdens, with our needs. We present them to you. Lord, I pray that you would keep us as individuals, as families, as your church, from the evil one. That you wouldn't allow us to be led into temptation. That you would show us that way of escape. That, Lord, you would supply our needs by giving us our daily bread. That your name would be hallowed in our midst. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 14. 
Romans chapter 14. Uh, last week it was a privilege to have Dean Loftus from the camp, from Redcliffe Bible Camp, with us. And a uh, blessing to us, wasn't it, to see what the Lord is doing up at the camp and how the Lord has provided there again the funds that they need to rebuild the lodge. And I was blessed by his message to us from the Word of God from the book of Psalms. Perhaps you remember that in Psalm 19. And I was touched by what's going on in his family with his sister and uh, the cancer that she's struggling with. And she's been much on my heart. And I hope we remember as the Lord lays her on your heart to pray for her. But it was a blessing to me to think about what Dean was talking about, how the Word of God makes a mark on us. It leaves an imprint, changes us. And uh, what a blessing that is. Let's look to the Word today. We're going to look in Romans chapter 14. Before we do, let's just ask that the Lord would bless His Word and that He would teach us today. Lord, we are dependent upon You. You are an amazing God. We are so privileged, Father, to live here in western Wyoming where we see storehouses laden with snow. We see the beautiful colors of fall. We enjoy the beautiful fragrance of spring. All in a backdrop painted by your word when you spoke these mountains into existence. You are truly indescribable and amazing. Lord, you've given us your word. In your word, you make known to us your will and your way. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you who breathed out this word, that you would teach us today, that, Holy Spirit, you would give each of us individually insight into our own lives, to apply your word, to live your word, to glorify you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look together to Romans chapter 14. We're going to read the first nine verses. As for the one who is weak in faith, shun him. What does he say? You're awake? Welcome him. But not for the reason of quarreling over opinions with him. One individual believes he can eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For it is God who has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he either stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another. 
while another esteems every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. He gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. And he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, so then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, now notice that, that word end, that's the Greek word telos, goal, for to this goal, for this purpose, Christ died and lived again. That's a pretty clear statement. Why did Jesus die and live again? Why did Jesus die and be resurrected from the grave? In order that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. We're talking about opinions. We're talking about offense. We're talking about Christian liberty. Dave Ruthart read to us this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We will reference that. I hope you were paying attention while he read that. It's a very important chapter in relationship to what we're talking about here. I want to run through a real quick review. And I've got to do this quickly. That's hard for me, I know to do anything quickly in the pulpit, but I'm going to try to do it quickly. And I want to remind us of a couple things so we have a couple things in our minds as we go deeper into this text. This was a quote we looked at. Christians have Christian liberty. What do we mean by that? This means that we have freedom in Christ to enjoy many created created things without fear of condemnation from God. Okay, we're not talking about each other. We're talking about from God. In other words, we have freedom to enjoy what God has created, and we do not need to fear condemnation from God. He is the Creator. He made all things, it says in 1 Timothy 4, for us richly to enjoy. We don't have to fear His condemnation because we enjoy His created things. So we understand that the created things can neither commend us nor condemn us before God. Therefore, as Christians, we have the privilege of freedom to enjoy various aspects of creation without fear of judgment. There is another side to this freedom. And that is the freedom to set aside our liberty for the sake of the gospel. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, I have a right And yet I have laid aside my rights in order that I may win some. So to the weak I become as weak. Talking about weak people, 
weak in faith in this chapter. He says, when I am with those who are weak in the faith, I become just like them so I can win them. To the strong, I become like strong. To the Jew, I become like a Jew. In other words, he tailors his approach and he lays aside, he even mutes his own liberty so that he will not be an offense for the sake of the gospel. So we have that liberty. Liberty does not mean we have to exert our right. And so there are two aspects to Christian liberty. Now, we are then talking about things that are necessary and things that are indifferent. And how do we know the difference? In other words, there are some things that are necessary to salvation. There are some things that are indifferent, that are just opinions. And we're talking about how do we know that difference. The word indifferent is the Greek word adiaphora. And I want to remind us of some things about this, things that are indifferent. The fact that something is indifferent does not mean that it is unimportant. It does not mean that it's unimportant. It just means it's not necessary. Secondly, we don't mean that it's undisputed. In other words, the doctrine of the Trinity is necessary. Right? It is necessary. Is it disputed? Yes, it is. So when we say there are things that are indifferent or necessary, we're not just talking about categories of things that have been solved forever within the church. The battle may continue to rage on different issues that are very necessary. So we're not saying that things here, that we're just talking about things indifferent, we're talking about things that are undisputed. We also are not saying that a local church does not define its position in regard to it. Um, in the doctrinal side of this issue, I'm going to say the mode of baptism is indifferent. It's not necessary. Is it important? Yes. Has it been disputed? Yes. And does this church define its position on it? Yes, it does. While recognizing that there are brothers who will disagree with us. Okay? So when we talk about things that are indifferent, we're not just talking about things that just don't matter and that whatever you do is okay. We're not talking about that. But we are talking about things that are indifferent to salvation. They're not necessary to salvation. They are in the realm of opinion. Now, what constitutes an opinion? We all have opinions about many things. When we are talking about opinions in this part of the Scripture, in chapter, we are talking about applications of Scripture. To daily life that flow out of our lived experience, our past teaching, and then the conscience that we have because of that. So he's talking about meat sacrificed to idols. He's talking about somebody who had once been an idolater had gone into the pagan temples, his lived experience, his conscience, has all been formed by that. And he comes to Christ. He has distinct conscience issues related to his past. 
You also have a Pharisee in the same church. And he came to Jesus. And he was born again. And he lived by the ceremonial law. And all those things, he did them, he did them, he did them. And then he came to faith in Christ and he understood grace and he was born again. And he has a certain conscience that was formed by his past. So when we are talking about opinions, we are talking about the way we apply Scripture in our daily life. The decisions that we make that flow out of the experiences that we have had in life and the teaching and thus the conscience that we currently have before God. Now, we're talking about freedom, we're talking about liberty. There are some things that freedom do not, does not mean. When I say you are free in Christ... There's some things that does not mean. We talked about these, but I want to remind ourselves of them. Number one, freedom does not mean I am free from the consequences for my actions. Okay? You're free. We talked about this. There is no necessity to come to church every Sunday. There's no necessity. In the Old Testament, there was necessity laid on them to observe the Sabbath. You are free. If you don't come, that's on your conscience. But don't tell me it doesn't have consequences. It does. But you are free. So freedom does not mean I am free from consequences. It also does not mean something else. It does not mean that every choice is equal. It doesn't mean every choice is equal. Um, The fact that God lifted the ceremonial regulations on clean and unclean food does not mean you should eat bacon every morning, noon, and night. You know, I love bacon, amen? I could eat it every morning, noon, and night. I mean, it's just good stuff. It also does some really good things to your veins, I understand. You know, so... Freedom doesn't mean that every choice is equal. Freedom means this. It means someone else is not dictating the choice I make. That there is not constraint. That I get to make the choice. We see in this chapter that in this realm of freedom... There is an understanding of accountability. To seek God's glory, that I will answer to God, and that's why he goes in this chapter to the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us will give an account of ourselves, not to each other, to the Lord. You are free to make whatever choice you want. If you want to come to church once in a blue moon, and you want to just stay home and read your Bible... You're free to do that. But you will give an account to the Lord. You will answer to the Lord. Not to me, not to Matt. To the Lord. You're accountable. Secondly, responsibility. We have a responsibility to others. We are to seek for harmony, and we will see in this, we are not to put something in front of our brother that would cause him to stumble to offend. So, my freedom should be dictated by these two things. I am accountable to God, 
and I am responsible to others. Let's move on in the text. He says something to the strong. The strong in faith. If you will notice, in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So he tells the strong some things here. So, I imagine every one of us here thinks we're strong, right? None of us thinks we're weak in the faith. None of us would put ourselves in that category willingly. We'd probably all think, okay, I'm strong in the faith. What does it mean to be strong in the faith? And what is my responsibility to those who are weak? Here they are. Don't quarrel with the weak over opinions. That's in chapter 14, verse 1. So he begins the whole chapter by telling us, if you are strong, if you are strong in the faith, then you are not to quarrel with the weak over this. Mere opinion. We still have to come up with some ideas and a framework to understand what is an opinion and what is not. But remember that. Secondly, he says, don't despise the weak. That's a pretty strong word in the Greek language. It tells us that when Jesus was taken before Pilate and he was stripped down and beaten, the people despised him. Many times this word is translated like look down on, but it's bigger than that. To despise someone. To treat them with contempt. Have I ever treated someone with contempt? Before the Lord, I have to say I have. In my mind. We all have. We look at someone else and we think they don't measure up. They're not quite like me. And we look down on them. We we, we treat them with contempt. And he says, don't despise the weak because of his opinion. Because he's thinking something different and he's acting a little bit different than you are. Don't despise him. Don't pass judgment on the weak. We'll see later in the chapter. Next week we're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. It's not mine to judge, it's his. Right? It's not mine to judge, it's his. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But then in Scripture, it also tells us to judge things. How do we balance that out? Oh, this is hard stuff. What are we to do? We are to welcome him. We are not to shun him. We are not to treat him with contempt. We are not to quarrel with him. We are to lovingly embrace him and bring him into the fellowship and greet him in love and embrace him with welcome. Luke 18, 9. This is the parable that Jesus told. And it says in verse 9 of Luke 18, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they 
despised everyone else. And so the Pharisee goes into the temple. And how does he pray in the parable that Jesus told? I thank you, God, that I am not like everyone else. And there is the publican, not the republican, who cannot lift his eyes to heaven and he is beating upon his breast. He says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. So this is a problem today in our lives, and it was a problem in Jesus' day. To treat others with contempt. The strong and the weak. In the context of what we're reading, he's talking about meat. He's talking about vegetarianism. And he sets it in the context of a sacrifice to a false god. So what they would do is they would kill an animal, and because they couldn't put it in the freezer... It was typically killed in the context of a sacrifice to a deity. And they would give some of it to the deity and it would be burned on the altar. And then those who had offered it would have a meal. And they would eat a meal in the temple of the god. And many times they would invite people to the banquet. And so if you got an invitation from your neighbor and he said on such and such a day, I'm going to kill a cow in sacrifice to the god Bacchus. And I would like you to come with me and eat with me in the temple of Bacchus. Then you as a Christian are faced with the issue of, am I going to go to the temple and eat with them in this sacrifice? That's part of the equation here. Should I go into the temple and eat? Anything that was left was taken to the marketplace and sold. And I might go there and buy that meat. That's the other side of the equation. Paul addresses both of those issues in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. Should I go into the temple and eat with somebody who is my friend who was sacrificed to a false god? Should I partake in that festivity? And then also, can I purchase the meat out of the marketplace once it's gotten there? Those are the two issues. There are some who are trying to not fall into sin by not eating any meat and have become vegetarians. He also talks about days, the Jewish calendar of festivals and weekly cycles. So there are some who are continuing to observe the Sabbath, and they are doing it to who? The Lord. Isn't that what he said in the text? There are some who are still observing, I'm not saying Sunday, I don't think Paul's saying Sunday. They are observing the Sabbath. Saturday. And they are doing it, why? As a Christian. To honor the Lord. There are some who say, no, I don't need to honor the Sabbath, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Breads, the Feast of Tabernacles. I don't need to do that. Why? Because I'm a Christian and I am the Lord's. 
And so I am honoring the one who is the fulfillment of all those feasts. So there were Christians in Rome who fell on both sides of this issue. And what did Paul say to them? Meet in the Colosseum and duke it out? He said what? Get over it. Didn't he? Get along. Let's go on. So this is all set in the context of eating and drinking. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, Whether therefore you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. Uh, Those were the opinions they were arguing about. Let's talk about some opinions we argue about. We've got to do this quick. Now, these are my Sunday school lessons for the next weeks. So if you want to study these individually, come to Sunday school. We're just going to hear some opinions in the American church that people are arguing about. I knew you'd laugh. But think with me. I bet there's been more division in the body of Christ in the last four years over that man than any other issue. And I'm speaking honestly, right? Donald Trump. Food. We're still arguing about this one. Is vegetarianism? How about GMO stuff? Organic. I'm an organic Christian. You're a GMO one. I like supplements, you don't. You know, all those different things that still come into the food category. Splits churches. Divides families. Days. Halloween. Should Christians observe it? See, we're still arguing about days, aren't we? Should Christians observe Halloween? So we still argue about that one. Gun control. That's going to be a fun one in Sunday school. (laughs) Second Amendment rights. A lot of division in America, in the church, on this issue. We need to argue about it and think about it. Ah, That wasn't a way to say it. We don't want to argue about it. Technology. We've studied technology the last four weeks in Sunday school. Here's some more opinions we're arguing over. Drugs. Legalization of marijuana. How about smoking? That's still an ongoing fight in the church. How about music? Music comes up many times. Education? Types of education that are out there? Race? And that's all besides the fine points of Christian doctrine. Things like this. Um, God's means of creation. Bible translations. Baptism. Calvinism and Arminianism. Covenantalism and dispensationalism. End times. Are you an amillennialist, a premillennialist, a postmillennialist? Etc., etc. There's a ton of them. Right? Opinions. Now remember, the fact that they're on that list does not mean they are unimportant. It does not mean that they are undisputed. It does not mean that this church has doesn't have a position on it. But it does mean it falls into the question or into the category of something that is indifferent to salvation. It does have consequences. 
and we will give an account. But there is no constraint. So these are the kinds of things that we have to think about. Now, this is something I want you to think about that I think is important. The fact that these things are being disputed is not wrong. Many times it is what? It is the way that they are disputed that is wrong. So as brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, we are to do it in what? A brotherly way. How do I know if I am contending for the truth or just being a jerk? Right? How do I know if I am contending for the truth or I'm just being contentious? Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in depth next week when we think about quarreling and the importance that God puts on, the, on this thing that we don't quarrel. But then we also see in the scripture that we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered, that we are to be uncompromising, that we are to have conviction. And boy, trying to balance that out can be really tough. We are not to be contentious. We are not to be quarrelsome. We're not to just be jerks. Martin Luther said this. I really like this quote. All the errors in ministry can be summed up in either being too soft or too hard. That's true of most of life. Sometimes we get it wrong one way or the other. We all are prone to that. Now, what's the difference between being strong and being weak? It has nothing to do with how buff you are, guys. What does it mean to be strong in the faith? What does it mean to be weak in the faith? Let's set it in the context that Paul is talking about. Number one, he talks about believing something. So notice in verse 2, he says one person believes he believes. And so this word belief is important. In verse 5, he talks about being fully convinced in your own mind. And then he talks about faith and doubt in verse 21 to 23. He says, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Forever, for whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. What he's saying there is this. Don't sin against your conscience. If you're not fully convinced, then don't just act to be part of the crowd. Be fully convinced. So, the conscience you have must be protected before God. Now, what is the difference between strong and weak? Let's think about John 8.32 for a minute. Jesus said these words. He's talking to the Pharisees of his day who reject him, but he says to them, you shall, notice that word, know. You shall know what? The truth the truth will what? Set you free. 
There's a lot of bondage in our country today among people. People are bound by not only their opinions and beliefs, but by sin and the carnage that that brings into their life. And they long to be free. The truth sets us free. Not self-actualization. Not self-expression. Not just being who you are. Coming out of the closet and, you know, I just don't feel like I'm who I am, so i got to become a woman. That doesn't set me free. Self-actualization, self-expression, self-esteem, none of those things set you free, and yet the world tells you it will. What will set you free? Jesus Christ, who is the truth, and knowing him. You will know the truth, and the truth will give you liberty. Now, let's think about this. This is very important we understand. The weak is considered to be weak because the opinions that form his beliefs are not based on the truth. God has revealed to us truth, my friend. The person who is weak is weak because his opinion and his conscience in a matter has been formed not by what God says, but rather by his experiences and his own premises. Thus he is weak. Let me demonstrate this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Dave read this. About food offered to idols, we know. Notice the word no. I'm going to circle them as we go through this. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food offered to idols, then, we know. What do we as a Christian know? This is the truth that sets us free. An idol is nothing in the world. God told me that, my friend, in His Word. It sets me free. An idol is nothing. And what else do I know that God told me? There's only one God. That's what I know. I don't know that because I was born with that knowledge. I know it because God told me in his word. Now, here's what he says next. However, not everyone has this knowledge. In fact, some have been so used to idolatry up till now that when they eat food that was offered to an idol, their conscience... Now notice this. This tells us what it means to be weak. Being weak is what? Defiled. In their conscience, there's a defilement. Food... Now notice this truth. This is the truth that sets me free, that God tells me, 
Food does not make me acceptable to God. God tells me that in his word. I know that because God told me. We are not inferior if we don't eat. We are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes what? A stumbling block to which person? That one. The person who is weak. In Romans 14, 14, he tells me the truth that sets me free. I know and I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus. Nothing is unclean in itself. Think about that word. Did God make marijuana for a reason? Or was it just a, oops, tobacco, alcohol? We've got to wrestle with that a little bit. Okay, so come to Sunday school. But he says here, I know and I'm persuaded, not by someone else, but by the Lord Jesus, that nothing in itself is unclean. But it is what? It is unclean to the person who thinks it is unclean. Okay. Here's some applications, and we've got to close. I want you to think about this really importantly. This is really important, this point. Because some of you are weak in the faith on certain regards. Now, you're much stronger than me in other ways. I'm sure of it. But in some ways, you're weak. And the reason you are weak is because you were living by a conscience that was formed by past experience and not by God's word. God wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. That's his desire. In order to be free, you don't just sear your conscience. Okay? Don't just sear your conscience. That's not good for anybody. It sets you up to sear your conscience in things that are really sinful. So how do you find freedom? By knowing the truth. By knowing the truth. That's why we're going to talk about these opinions and we're going to try to lay out the truth. What does God say on these things? Is it good to have a gun? Is it fine to have a gun? Is it okay to use a gun? To kill an animal? To eat the animal? What does God say on that? Is it okay to use a gun to kill a bunch of animals to let them rot on the mountainside? No. That's a sin. What's okay? What's not? We'll talk about some of those opinions and make up, but here's the point that I want you to know. My knowledge must be built by God's word, not the culture I live in. It has to be. And I'm not just talking about the American culture. I'm even talking about the church culture you were raised in. 
where in a certain church culture, a certain thing was taboo. But it's not taboo in the Word, and it's not taboo by God, but it's taboo in that culture. So, what I want you to come to truth, or what I want you to come to realization of is this. If you want to be free in Christ to enjoy what has been given to you in Christ, don't just sear your conscience. Get deeper in the Word. And know the truth, and then all of a sudden, your conscience will be formed by the Word. And then when you do this thing, you rejoice in it. And you enjoy it. And you don't feel like, "Uh uh-oh, I hope that so-and-so didn't see me do that. Because if so-and-so saw me do that, then they're going to be looking down their long nose at me. Right? Second one is this. I have to transfer my trust to the Bible and not trust my feelings or my intuitions. Martin Luther said this, feelings come and feelings go. And feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. Let's close. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to set us free. To set us free from our sin. To set us free from condemnation to set us free so that we could enjoy life. Lord, I I thank you for the people who have made these chosen movies and to see someone's depiction of Jesus in them. I'm just talking to you, Lord. but And to think Jesus is a real person who enjoyed life. He went to the wedding of Cana and he had a good time. Lord, you don't want us to just be a bunch of bumps on the log who are down in the mouth and grumpy about everything, who are contentious and jerks. Lord, you want your people to be free. Help us, Lord, to understand what that means. What it doesn't mean and to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together?
Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, for the truth of your word, Lord, and may we walk by it. May we not add to it. May we not take away from it, but may we live by it. We thank you. We thank you for the truth of your word as it was spoken here today. Use it in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.